We have help in the spirit world. Last week we took a look at the spirit world and we looked at demons and Satan. And today we are going to address what we believe and why we believe this about the spirit world. That there are angels. The Bible calls them ministering spirits that are there for us. They serve God to serve us and to care and protect for us. It's interesting how, if we're not careful, where our worldviews get a little skewed when it comes to angels, a biblical worldview, it's often easier for a believer, a Christ follower, to believe that there's demons and Satan, and to address and even say something like this, and we talked about this last week, and I don't believe this, that there's a demon behind every bush, but we won't say there's an angel behind every bush. Or will we say that there's angels out there that protect and care and are fully aware of our surroundings and care for us. Somehow, in our worldview, and I believe it's because the enemy has told us a lie not to go there or to believe that angels are there created by God to serve him and to care for us. In fact, the Bible is loaded. You just open up the Bible, there are incredible opportunities for you and I to study about angels. The Old Testament alone has 100 verses on angels. The New Testament talks about angels 165 times. 34 books of the Bible talk about angels. Yet it's difficult if we're not careful and we don't have a biblical worldview to say that there's angels out there, that they're real. And we're going to look today, we're going to look at an account, and then we're going to break down what I believe the Bible says about angels. But there's lots of questions about angels. And a person took a camera on the street and asked questions about angels. Look at some of these replies. Watch this. Do you believe in angels? Perhaps. Do you believe in angels? Yeah. There could be something like a guardian angel. I think that there is possibility that there could be, you know, angels after death. I don't know if it's considered an angel per se, but I believe there's something, you know, other than just be us being here. I believe in a God and that he probably has the equivalent of some type of servants working for him and helping him out. Uh, other than that, I don't know. I've had a few instances where I felt like that, you know, God's hand probably working through angels is done some things for me. What do you think angels look like if they existed? Do they really have to look like anything? What do you think angels look like? I have no idea. I don't think they have an appearance. I think it's all in your in your head. Perhaps they are look like a ball of light or um, something to that effect. They could be people. They could be whatever. Kind of like a ghost with wings. <laughs> Beautiful looking, I guess. An angel can be anything you think it is. Flashes of light, maybe. I don't really know. Could be a person. Could be an animal. <laughs> Be whatever you think it is. I guess an angel could also come in the form of a person. What is an angel? Uh, a dead person. A nice dead person. An angel could be some kind of uh, higher being that has transcended the physical plane. They're God's messengers. An angel is, according to what I know, it's an agent that is usually, you know, has to do with God. What do you think the purpose of an angel is? To make humans feel secure. The purpose of angels would be, I guess, to kind of like look over us. No purpose. No purpose at all. Make sure we're okay. Just to be there. Some people die and they become angels. But they don't have a purpose. To uh, guide the uh, lesser beings. They can watch over you or watch out for you. You know, when, when God doesn't have time. I think that there are two angels that write down all your good deeds and your bad deeds. Do you think people have guardian angels? I used to when I was little. Well, I've never really thought of it much, really. I do believe angels guard, but I don't think each person has their own guardian angel. I think everybody has a guardian angel. Do you believe you have a guardian angel? Yeah. 
I've been through some times where there's definitely something there to help me out. If you believe you have a guardian angel, I think that, yeah, then it can help you in, in that aspect to actually believe that there is one. But I think if you don't believe in angels, then why would you have one? <laughs> why don't you believe people have their own guardian angel? The Bible doesn't say that people have their own guardian angel, and I just try to believe just what the Bible says. So what do you believe? If you had to write down your world view, our world view shapes how we live, shape how we make decisions, it shapes what you teach your children, it shapes how you have conversations with your neighbors, it shapes how you read the Bible. What does the Bible say about angels? Grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings, we're going to open up with an account, and then we're going to break down what I believe the Bible says. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. And we're going to read verses 8 to 17 to start. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. And I ask you to stand with me as we read this together. 2 Kings, we're going to read it out loud together. Stand with me, please, as we read God's word. 2 Kings 6, verses 8 through 17. Let's read it. Ready, read. Now that the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me! Which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You may have a seat. Incredible account, and we're going to unpack it today. But before we unpack it, I want you to scribble some notes, and these are notes that you can look at later. And, and I want to give you what the Bible says, not an exhaustive list, because it would be 260 verses or more of that. But I'm going to give you what I would say are some highlights of what angels are, who they are, and what we know about them. I'll begin by saying this. They were created beings. Before the earth, in Job chapter 38, verses 4 to 7, says that angels were created. There is a certain number. They were created by God. Colossians 1.16 says God created all things. So they were created by God, and they were created to be whatever form he functioned them to be in. They weren't babies, and they grew up. They were created by God. They have personality, intellect, emotion, and will. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses Verse 12 says, they look into things. They're interested in those who are getting saved. Luke chapter 15, the three times that it talks about a sinner getting lost and found, if you look at that account, it says they rejoice 
when the lost coin is found and when the lost son comes back. And so they have emotion, they have will, they have intellect, so they can learn. They continue to learn. They study, they look, they take in information. We also know this, their power is limited but unmatched by human beings. Second Peter 2.11 says that angels can overpower us or stronger than us. But it's limited, only as much as God allows them to have. They are masculine in gender. Every time an angel is referred to, he is referred to as masculine in gender. If you look at Luke 24, 4, and Acts verse 1, or chapter 1 and verse 10. They don't increase in number. Matthew 22 and verse 30, it says they don't marry and we'll be like the angels in heaven. We can't marry, so they can't procreate. It's a fixed number from the beginning, and we'll see that they don't die. Luke 24, 4 says they don't die, but they don't increase in number, and we'll be like the angels in heaven. We won't marry either. So there's a limited number of them. They are elected. I found that powerful truth. Like human beings, Christ followers are elected. 1 Timothy 5, 21, it says, and the elect angels, which means before the foundation of the world, God elected, God knew, God predestined, God knew that some would be elect angels and some wouldn't be elect. A third left with Satan out of heaven when they sinned and became demons. So two-thirds are elect. They outnumber demons. This is important, and we'll talk about it later. We'll write this down. I encourage you to take notes because you're not going to remember all this. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. If you go to Revelation 12 and verse 4, it says Satan who was in heaven, metaphor that John used, the image for like, he says he took his tail, the dragon, and swept out one-third of the angels that were there. The demons went with him. So, good to know that two-thirds of the original angels that were created is more than one-third of the demons that were kicked out. They outnumber demons two to one. They carry us to our final destination. It's fascinating. Luke 16, 22 says that when we die, angels carry our spirits, carry our soul, carry our being to heaven. They assist in that process. When you and I breathe, who are Christ followers, breathe our last breath, an angel comes along, Luke 16 says, and takes us to our final destination. Some angels have names. There's three names in the Bible. There is Gabriel, there is Lucifer, and there is Michael. There are many of them. Revelation 5 and 11 says, one translation says, they're innumerable. It says 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands upon thousands of them. And if you do the math, literally there's about more than a billion angels. So there are many, but they don't increase. We also know that they do not die. Luke chapter 20 and verse 36, they don't die. Same number. They have a function and a purpose, but they don't die. We know from last week that a third of them will be thrown into the lake of fire and burn forever and ever. They don't die there either. Forever and ever means forever and ever will burn forever. Humans don't become angels when they die. Let me pull away and just address this. If you have a son or daughter, husband, wife, friend, co-worker, when they die, if they know Christ and they're saved, They spend eternity with God. They don't turn into angels. There's no biblical account of that. However, you might say, I feel like they're watching over me. Here's the truth. This person who knows Christ dies. I believe there are more prayers answered in heaven 
than there are on earth. Because this person, 1 John 3, 2 says, when we are on the resurrected side, when we die and enter heaven, we will be as he is. So we're able to go to God. I believe this, my personal opinion through scripture, that those who have passed on are able to go right to the throne of God and continue to pray for loved ones left behind. I believe they're able to go. And James 5 says this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. There's not much more effectual or more fervent or righteous than a person who's in the redeemed position. So they're able to go to God, and I believe they can continue to pray for those that are left behind. So yeah, they're not an angel, but they can take their prayer request before God to, for protection over you. Man is lower than the angels in the biblical rank. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have angels and you have man. Man in his flesh and blood form is lower than the angels. But keep in mind, once we're in our resurrected form, once we've been with Christ and we no longer have our earthly bodies and we're raptured or we die and we meet God we take a position above the angels. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that you and I will judge the angels. We are above them in our resurrected form. They can talk. Angels can speak. They can take on the form of men. They take on the form or they take on the form, this bright angelic form. They, and we'll look at that. I'm going to show you in scripture that they do take on the form of men. And this is what happened in this passage, and we know this, when the rapture occurs, it's the voice of what? An archangel. The angel will speak, and then the trumpet sound of God. And those who know Christ, and those who have already died, who are in the grave, their souls will go and meet their, their bodies and their bodies, will, or their bodies will meet their souls in heaven. And those of us who know Christ will meet Christ in the air. So the angel will speak and we will go. There is an count upon count about angels. In fact, I just encourage you to just look up angels in a concordance and study them. But here's what I know from this account and the 265 accounts in the Bible. They are ready at a moment's notice to come to our aid. Amen to that? They are ready at a moment's notice to come to our aid. Set this story up for a second. Let's bring it to modern days. So here we have, we have Elisha. And we have the king of Aram who, who is an Aramean who's trying to destroy Israel. And as he's trying to destroy Israel, he keeps trying to attack Israel. And every time he goes to a place, the people of Israel already know that he's there. So he's upset. How do they know that we're setting ambush at this crossroads? How do they know that when we go there, that we're going to go there? And this servant that was one of King of Aram's servant, he said, there's this man named Elisha. He keeps telling them. In fact, King of Aram says, who in our side, like who is, who is telling the enemy where we're going? Somebody's got to be telling me because every time we go there, they know we can't ambush them. And they said, they're just man by the name Elisha. And king, I want to let you know this. King Aram, he knows the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Now, that would be dangerous, wouldn't it? He does. And so he's telling, and King Aram says, we got to get rid of him. Because if we don't get rid of him, then we'll never destroy Israel. So he devises a plan. His plan is what? Send the chariots, send the, the infantry, 
go get one man. They weren't concerned about people of Israel. He believed if he could get the one man, then they could take the country. So the text says, one morning, this servant goes out. And he sees army tanks, bazookas. He sees drones flying above, over top. He sees jets flying by, circling. And he is scared to death. Why? Because the enemy is in the city. The enemy has surrounded the city. So he goes to Elisha, scared. Elisha, come and take a look. We're about to be killed. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Can you imagine that conversation in the sermon? Are you kidding me? Did you see what's out there? Don't be afraid. You see, Elisha was able to see with eyes that were God eyes. The servant was looking at the physical. Elisha was able to see the spiritual. And he knew that he would be okay because he knew what was on the hillside. And so he says this, dear God, I pray that you'll open the servant's eyes. And when the servant's eyes are open, he will be able to see that there are chariots and there are soldiers and there are horses and they are manned by men who are angels. If you look in Genesis, the, the angels that appeared to Lot were men. And so they're able to take on the form of men. And so the truth is, as they looked and the servant looked, he was blown away. And Elisha says, by the way, there are more of us than there are of them. And the situation went from fear and panic to peace. The truth is this. I'll say it again. They are ready at a moment's notice to come to our aid. Sometimes we lose this thought in this account. They were already in place. They were already there. They didn't come because Elisha had prayed for them to come. They were in place to protect, just like they are for you and me. It's important to have a foundational verse. And I believe that Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 is one of those. And I believe you should have this underlined in your Bible. I believe you should have this highlighted in your mobile device. But turn to Hebrews. Keep your finger here. Here's where we get from Scripture what angels are. But turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. This verse sets the foundation to what, who they are and what their job description is. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says this. Are not all angels what? What's it say? Ministering spirits. Turn there. Underline this in your Bible. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit what? Salvation. There it is. We have angels ready to serve us. Those who inherit salvation. Those who are children of God. Those who are saved. Those who are born again. Those who have been elected, adopted by Jesus Christ. From the foundation of the world. We have angels by our side. Listen, if you are unsaved, you don't have an angel by your side. When the movie would, came out years ago, or the TV show that was touched by an angel... It had such cultural influences that were so wrong. It was a great, great, great TV series to watch. But you would often see these angels coming along and helping out non-believers. That's not a biblical perspective. And every time I watched it, I was like, oh, no, that's not a proper biblical worldview. 
they would help those that were born again. We have the angels. We have them serving us because we have inherited salvation. It's a gift from God to believers. Amen. We have them by our side. Jesus himself was attended to by angels. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, fascinating passage. When Jesus was in flesh and blood and walked on planet earth, we would say the incarnate form, Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, the great incarnation passage. But in Matthew chapter 4 verses 10 and 11, after Jesus was tempted, we looked at last week, by the devil, he gets to the end of these 40 days. He's worn out. He's tired. He's hungry. And it says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus said to Satan, Away from me, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then it says in chapter 4 and verse 11, Then the devil did what? What's it say? Left him and the what came and attended him? Angels. I believe the angels remind us that we are infinitely loved by God. What did they do? I believe the angels came. I bet he was hungry. I'm sure they came and, and gave him food to eat. I'm sure they came. And I believe because they're God's servants, they're God's ministering spirits. I believe he had a word because they can speak. I believe when they came, it was a word from God that said, Son, I'm proud of you. Son, you are you are." welcoming this, this city, these people, and you are doing the job I've called you to do. Great job, son. I love you. I'm convinced they took a word of encouragement to Jesus. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But whenever they appear in the angelic form, not in the form of a man, when they appear in the angelic form in Scripture, their presence produce amazing effects. I want you to think about this. Every time an angel came, and the Bible gives reference to them in Revelation, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they have wings in the angelic form. There are different classes and ranks, cherubim and seraphim. And when they appear in those pictures in the Bible, they are bright lights, they have an awesome presence. And when they appear in the angelic form, think about this each time they appeared in that form in the Bible. Mental turmoil came on Mary when Gabriel announced the news of the virgin birth. It says, she was shaken. Not just because of the news, but because of what she saw. This angelic presence, not human form in this case, but this angelic presence. When Zechariah was told that he was going to have a son by the angel, it says in the text, he panicked and terror gripped his heart. Why? Because he was blown away by their angelic presence. When the shepherds to whom the angelic messenger announced the birth of Jesus Christ it says that they, I love the translation here in the King James, they were sore afraid. Why? Because, whoa, this presence is so angelic and so bright. It says that they were sore afraid. They had never experienced a visitation like this before. And when the Roman soldiers in Matthew 28 saw the angel roll back the stone, it says they fell over and they were as if they were dead. Because.
because this angelic presence of angels was around them. You see, when they appear in angelic form, they are strong, they are impressive, they are powerful, and they leave you shaken. However, they often guard and protect by taking on a human form. Look back at the second king, chapter 6, and look at verse 16 or 17 again. It said, Elisha prayed, opened his eyes, Lord, that they may see, then that he may see, and then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. They came on horses. They came on chariots. And the servant wasn't shaken in any way, but he was blown away that there was more of them than those that surrounded him in the city. Knowing that they are ready at a moment's notice to help should allow us to walk in courage and boldness because God is with us and his angelic host is with us too. Can I get an amen to that? He is with us. You know, Elisha is not trembling when he looks outside and sees North Korea in his backyard because he knows that who is with him is greater than those that are attacking him. And knowing that truth is this. You and I don't go alone. You didn't come to Grace Community today alone or by yourself. God is everywhere. And by the way, let me just speak briefly. Let me pull away. Sometimes our biblical worldview is kind of skewed in this area too. And we talk about hell. And we say this about hell. Well, that's a place far away from God. Far, far away from God. Are you kidding me? If you actually believe that, then you're saying that our God isn't omnipresent. Our God is everywhere. And I'm telling you this, the people that are in hell, they know he's there and they wish they would have repented. They wish they would have known. And he reminds them daily and he will remind the false prophet and he will remind the the beast and he will remind those who turn their backs on God that he is God. God is everywhere. If you don't believe he's able to be present in hell, then you don't have a biblical worldview of the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. So do we have guardian angels? Absolutely, yes. Matthew 18, verse 10, it says even the little ones have angels that protect them. Then why wouldn't? logistically, and why wouldn't God continue to have angels that protect us? One of the primary services of angels is protection. I wish we could open the heavenlies right now. I wish you could have just replayed your week and you would have seen where angels intervene and and protected your children and protected you and protected you in a car crash and, and how the Lord just has angels around and carrying and protecting. And if you could wake up every morning and realize this truth that God is with you and that angels are with you protecting, you would walk in confidence and courage. There's no place that you go that God isn't with you. Can I get one amen? amen. I love what Psalm 91:11 says. It says, "Who will command the angels we to protect you?" God does. And so God says, go and guard that home. Go and send a hedge of protection, angels. 
And by the way, that's the very verse that Satan used in Luke chapter 4 when he had God above Jesus and he says, I dare you to jump from the temple if you truly want to have all that I have. And by the way, Satan says, I am the prince of the air. I own culture. I own the air. And if you jump, you can have what I have. And it's like, are you kidding me? Jesus said, I created you. Why would I want what you have? And Satan himself even quoted Psalm 91.11. He says, by the way, if you jump, remember, you, you, God will command his angels to guard and protect you. <laughs> Twisting truth. You see, few people realize the profound part angelic forces play in the human events. I often pray, God, please send your angelic messengers to the north, south, east, and west coordinate points of my family. God, I pray, and I've walked around the property of our own house and the three and a half acres, and as I walk around the property, I often pray, God, send your strongest angelic messengers to guard and protect our home. And I've walked around Grace Community, and I say, God, at the four corners of this property, may there be a host of angels protecting, and may when people come on this property, may they sense your presence in a powerful way. We can cry out to God, and then he commands angels, go. But we must go to God. We don't worship angels. We don't pray to angels. We pray to God through Jesus' name. Can I just pull away and say something else? His name is powerful, much more than you realize. Some of us have gotten in some really bad habits when it comes to prayer. Sometimes we get to the end and we don't even say in Jesus' name. Listen, the only way to God is through Jesus' name. <laughs> so you get to, get to the end. Say his name. In Jesus' name, amen. Not in his name or in him. And in Jesus' name, amen. Because not only when you pray that, it gets to God, but his name pushes back darkness. Satan flees. We get into some bad habits. And even when it comes, Jesus taught us how to pray. Angels are everywhere. I mean, I'll tell you some stories here in a few minutes, but here's one. John Patton was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands, and one night hostile natives surrounded the mission station. This has been verified. Intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them, Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. Remembering what ha had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing him and his family. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men with you there? Patton knew no men were present, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. Our God can do that. Psalm 103 and verse 20, there's a word that's used that we don't use much. It says that angels do God's bidding for him. Now, we think about bidding, we think about eBay, don't we? I'm going to do bidding. But the word bidding takes on another form. It means to perform services for to submit to one's authority or one's orders. So angels do what God requests of them to do. And by the way, angels are incredibly powerful. 
Watch what happens in this account. Let's read on to the end. It says in verse 18, As the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. I love this account, man. It's just so, like, in your face, big boy, Satan. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked. And there they were. Inside Samaria, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, shall I kill them, shall I kill them? My father, like he was ready to wipe them out. I mean, wouldn't you? It's a blind army. And so in verse 22, Elisha says, do not kill them. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. I love this. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. You bet they did. Now, can you imagine the king of Aram? He, he can hardly wait till they get back. But he said chariots, and he said horses, and he's like, he's, oh, man, I can't. we finally got this guy that's telling him the stuff I'm saying in my bedroom. And this army comes back and they got pizza stains all over their shirts. <laughs> like, this is just too good. Only God could come up with a story like this. They sat down at the buffet line. Hey, hey. He's like, well, where you been? You're not going to believe what happened. Well, tell me. Well, we got there and everything was okay until we couldn't see. And then we had to take like this 10-mile walk. Have you ever tried to, to, to move an army that can't see? Like, turn to the left, go to the right. I mean, they walked for miles and they couldn't see. And then finally their eyes are open. They're inside of Samaria. And the king of Samaria says, hey, come in. Let's eat. And they're like, they're going to kill us. No. Hey, have some pepperoni on your pizza. And they sent him away. Can you imagine how angry this king must have been? I can, I can. And it says that they never attacked again. You bet they didn't. That's what our God can do. You see, here's the problem. We read that and we think, well, that's just a Bible story. Yes, it is, but it can be your story too. Same God that did this is the same God that serves us. The same angels that were there are the same angels. They didn't like be a different group. He didn't create a different group for us. They're doing his bidding now. Amen? Please keep this in mind too. That the number of angelic messengers, ministering spirits, are two-thirds of the original group. There's thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10. Literally billions. So if you start to do the math, we are, our enemies are outnumbered by our army, God of the angel armies, two to one. And listen, they know it. And they're on our side. They also have superhuman strength. This was one of my favorite passages as a kid in Sunday school. And I just want to turn to 2 Kings. Keep your finger here in chapter 6 and turn to 2 Kings chapter 19. 
You see, we lose sight. All we got to do is read the Bible. Here's, here's what angels can do. This is how powerful they are. We talk too much about demons and not enough about angels. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35 says this. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and 85,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were, there were all the dead bodies. So the king of Assyria broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Think about that power. One angel said, 185,000. They are powerful. By the way, they're on our side. Amen? They're on our side. Who could ever stand against us? No one. We have nothing to be afraid of. It's one of the reasons, of the many reasons I love Nehemiah 4.14. When Nehemiah said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Here's what this means. Someone has your back covered. When we pray and ask for help, it comes in supernatural fashion called angels. And I know this to be true on a personal basis. I mean, go to Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verses 21 to 23. Daniel said, my God sent his angels and shut the mouths of lions. Wouldn't you like to have him come and shut a couple mouths for you? (laughs) Just pray it. I was coming home from Grace College my freshman year. I was on the basketball team, and Coach Kessler gave us the weekend off. And that was a big deal because we were practicing three hours a day. And, and so I lived in Maryland, was in Indiana, and it was my first time away from home. And, and so I just wanted to go home and see my folks, have a close relationship with my parents and my siblings. And so I loaded up my Mazda RX-7. I put all my laundry in the back for mom. I, I did. I'm guilty. <laughs> And I was driving home, and I was tired. It was, we practiced that day, and I was worn out, long nights studying, trying to figure out college and the whole college scene. It was quite an adjustment for me. And as I'm driving home, I was sleeping. I was dozing off and falling asleep, but I wanted to get home. Like, I only have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I got to get back Monday, so it's a long trip. Somewhere on the, on the toll road in Pennsylvania, I fell asleep. So I'm driving quickly. <laughs> And just keep it there, driving. And I fell asleep. And where I was at, it was a turn in the road. And if you've ever been on the toll road, many of you have on your way to Wild at Heart, there's some places where it's pretty rickety, and there was this ravine. And, and I remember just like, bam, like something slapped me. Like, wake up. And I woke up, and I was on the side of the road, and I threw my car back on the road, and I don't even know how it happened until later I figured it out. When I got home, my mom was, it was early in the morning, and, and she heard me pull in, and she came down, and she greeted me at, like she always does. <laughs> and she asked me, she said, Jimmy, how was your trip? Boy, I get choked up to my mom. How was your trip? I said, it was great, Mom. She said, what happened like at 2.17 in the morning? And, and I was like, well, actually, I know what happened. 
I said, because I was driving my car, and, and I woke up, and I was asleep, and I looked at my dash, and it was 211 or 217, it was 2 something, and I said, I looked at my dash, and I knew exactly that, what time it was. She said, Jimmy, I woke up at 217 in the morning, straight out of bed, and I prayed to God, God, help Jimmy. God, help protect him. And at the same time, she said it was 217. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when my mom exercised that prayer that God sent an angel (laughs) and woke me up. And you say, do angels do that? Yes, they do. When Peter was in prison, he was incarcerated in prison. It says angels came in and woke him up and ushered him out. God can do that. God does that. And when we cry out to him, he sends his angels to do his bidding. This should make you and I feel powerful and strong and secure because they battle and fight for us. In Daniel chapter 10 and verse 7 to 14, there's an instance in the Old Testament. It's a fascinating account. Daniel is asking for this help from God, so he cries out to God. And as he cries out to God, he's waiting on the answer. And and, and the archangel says, I battled for 21 days to bring you the answer. He said, Daniel, it took me 21 days. But I was battling with demon forces. And so there's these angels, angelic hosts, ministering spirits, fighting demons. But the angelic force won. But it was delayed for 21 days because there was a battle in the heavenlies. And then Peter's escape from prison in Acts chapter 12. In verse 6 through 11, the angel woke them up. We also are able to do this. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. This is what the Bible says. Let's just stick with the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. We can entertain angels. We can help angels. We can meet, you could meet an angel today in human form. How do you know that, Pastor John? Where's that? Well, let's look. Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 1 and 2 says this. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.1, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And then he says, Do not forget to show what to strangers? Hospitality. For by doing some have, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Some have entertained angels in disguise. So the point is this. The principle is we should be hospitable. We should care for people. We should look out for strangers. Jesus said, what you've done for me or done for them, you've done for me. You visit someone in prison, you visit me. You feed someone's hungry, you fed me. You help out a stranger, you help out me. But here it says that if we are hospitable, we could actually have an instance where we care and entertain angel. I believe this happened to me. I was on my way to St. Louis with a group of guys. We were in a vehicle, and we were driving to go see the NAIA basketball finals. And on our way to, uh, to NAIA finals, as we're driving, there was this car that was broken on, down on the side of the road. And this older gentleman was having difficulty, you could see, trying to get the tire off of the hub or off of the axle. And so I told him, just stop, the guy needs help. There's five of us. <laughs> so we pulled off right in front of him, and we walked back, and we introduced ourselves. And he just stood there, and he smiled. I said, sir, can we help you? Is there, 
He says, I can't get my wheel. I said, I got the lug nuts off, but I can't get the wheel off the hub. I said, can we help you? He said, yes, sir, you can. So he had one of those bumpers back then. It was in the 80s. That You remember the, the bumpers you put, and they had a slot in the bumper, and then you would stick your jack in there and crank it up. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Help me out. Some of us do, right? You understand that. And he was cranking it up, and they were just, they weren't OSHA-approved, okay? <laughs> and they, he had it cranked up, and he couldn't get it off. And as we went there, so I grabbed a hold of the tire and tried to pull it off and, and tried to hit it with a tire iron, and it wouldn't come off. And our, our vehicle had a scissor jack in it. So I went and got the scissor jack, and I put it under the axle, and I crawled under the vehicle, and I got where the tire was with, with the scissor jack, and I was kicking the wheel, trying to kick, and finally, it popped off. It was flat. We grabbed a spare and put it on and wrapped it up, and he shook our hand, and he said, thank you very much. And every one of us comments, he was the kindest person we've ever met. So we got in the vehicle, and we were parked in front of him, I said, did anybody get the license plate where he was from? Like, what state was he from? And everyone said, no, I didn't get it. You didn't get it? You didn't get it. No. And so we were about six or seven car lengths up in front of him. I said, when he goes by, let's see where he's from. I said, just it'd be neat to see where he's from. So as we're seated there, I said, let's wait till he comes by. So we all looked back, and his vehicle was gone. Now, I don't fabricate stories because God doesn't want us to. But here's what I know. There was a man there, and we fixed his tire. There was a man parked behind us who was very kind. When we got in our vehicle, that man never passed us. And I believe with all of my heart that we were able to entertain or to help an angel in distress. Why would God do that? Because he wants us to be hospitable. He wants us to continue to help strangers. What I know about this account is this. Here's some principles that you and I can take away from today. God and his armies are more powerful than Satan and his demons. Amen? (laughs) And there are more for us than there are for them. Elisha's prayer, secondly, allowed the servant to see what was already there. Keep this in mind. The angels were already in place. And so when his servant's eyes were open, he saw what was already there. Listen to me. They're already there to help you too. Thirdly, we don't have to see angels to appreciate them. You see, we don't see God and we appreciate him, don't we? Fourthly, Our God is everywhere and in full control of the universe. And he has angels to do his bidding. Fifthly, the enemy wants you to believe that you are powerless and to live in fear. It's amazing how we can acknowledge Satan and acknowledge demons and yet rarely acknowledge angels. Why? Because the enemy wants us to believe that he is greater and stronger and there are more of them than are with us. And it is alive from the pit of hell. And lastly, you and I are never out of the sight of our God. Elisha never feared. Those that are with us are more than those that are with him. Oh Lord, give us that perspective today. 
And God, even as we sing this song, may it just give us a new bounce to our step and may it change the way we live today. And may we recognize, Lord, that you have an incredible army of angels at your beckoning call to help and assist and care and love and provide and protect. And God, give us an awareness more frequently and help our biblical worldview to line up with the word of God. And may we not walk in fear, but may we remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And may we walk in the power of Jesus Christ who is in us and who works on our behalf. In Jesus' name, Amen.